I'm Angel, passionate birth worker and podcast host of the Birth Rebel Podcast. I'm bringing you a blend of heart, soul, and a bit of controversy. Join me on my podcast where I dive fearlessly into thought-provoking discussions about the most controversial topics in pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, and postpartum. I'm unmasking the truths. I'm challenging norms and sparking conversations that matter. Let's celebrate the beauty of the perinatal space while fearlessly confronting the tough questions together. Tune in for guest interviews from health professionals leading the charge into changing the perinatal space and my own expertise in diverse topics. All right, Birth Rebel, let's jump into it. Hello, everyone. It's your girl, Angel Coleman here, and welcome to another episode of the Birth Rebel podcast. Uh, Today, I have a much anticipated episode as a lot of you guys have been really eagerly awaiting my home birth story. So I am bringing this episode to you and I'm really, really excited to share my journey into having a home birth after two C-sections with my sixth baby. And to add a little bit of context and to tell the story a little bit more from an outside perspective, I actually have brought on my own doula. Her name is Emma Whitlock, and she is a birth doula, a midwife assistant, and a placenta encapsulator. And she's a very sought after doula here in the Northeast Ohio area. I felt so lucky to be able to have her at my birth. So Emma, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So if you want, give my audience a little bit of background of how you got into birth work and what you're up to now. So I was active duty in the military when I was pregnant with my first child. And I kind of, I knew enough that I was going to take a Lamaze class, but I didn't really, I I didn't have, I was definitely not trying to go pain management free. I wanted the epidural and all the things. And I took my class and learned what the body does and why it does it. So it kind of shifted my perspective, but I ended up having a emergency breach C-section with him. And my whole birth plan went out the window and I didn't feel, I didn't even know what doulas were at that time. And I, I, all these things happened. I didn't even get to see my baby for three hours. I didn't even see him in the OR. So I had a lot of postpartum issues. I, I, my birth did not go the way I wanted or anything like that. And so when I moved, I was in California at the time when I moved back here and was pregnant with my second, I kind of started to do a lot more research, found out what doulas were, wanted a midwife. And I also looked back at that first birth and thought, you know, I really want to get into birth work. I don't want anyone to ever feel the way I felt at that birth with my first birth. So I started doing the placenta encapsulation and the um, birth work and I haven't looked back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're doing really awesome. And you also are a midwife, midwife assistant too, aren't you? Yes. I, I started off doing a lot of hospital births and in 2019, uh-huh. I started assisting for home births and I, I know that we are much needed in the hospital system for sure. And mm-hmm. the advocacy part portion is like 90% of what we do, but there is something to be said for how different and magical and trusting of the process that home births can be. So I do find probably a good 80% of my births now are home, but 
yeah, there's a big difference there in what goes on for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> there, there's a big difference. And yeah, no, sometimes when you're advocating or, you know, supporting in the hospital, it sounds, it feels like you're fighting a losing battle, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that sometimes uh, as a community of doulas, we think like, yeah, there's a hundred of us in, in Cleveland and we're all, we're all doing this. We're making a change. And, it, and we are because for every woman that has a doula, we know that their birth would not have been the same, mm-hmm. even if it's one small little intervention we helped with, but it really, I try to sometimes bring myself back down and think about each individual birth I do and how the things that could have happened or didn't happen or did happen would probably have not been that way without the mom being empowered enough to even have a doula or feel like she could speak for herself or have, be like, wait, right. I can say no to that or I have options, you know? It's exactly. so even just the education portion is is important. Yeah, it is. It, and it's awesome that we're able to bring this to the community. And I, you know what? I feel like we're kind of lucky to live in Cleveland, Ohio, because I do feel like the hospital system is probably more open to what we're doing than, you know, other hospital systems. And, you know, we've got a couple of hospital systems that they do a lot of like research and things like that. So I do feel like we are pretty lucky to have some hospital systems that are a little bit more open to what we do, but home birth, <laughs> home birth <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a good place to, if you really want to go unmedicated and that is your goal for your birth, a home birth really is the um, optimal place to give birth if that's what you're searching for. And, you know, like with, you know, a little bit of my history. So I, I've had prior to baby number six. So I had three vaginal births and then I had two emergency C-sections. And, you know, I also gave birth in the middle of COVID in 2020. And I remember running a home birth back then too, but we had just moved and with so much going on. So I was like, okay, baby number six, I want a home birth. And part of the reason why I decided to have a home birth this time was because I was so sick of the hospital. Like I was so sick of them telling me what to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. I can be like, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want an epidural. Leave me alone. Like get out of my room. Like, let me do my thing, which I can, like, I'm fully able, fully capable, but it's so irritating to just like constantly like having them come in your room. Like, are you sure you don't want an epidural? And it's like, no, like I told you that I don't want one. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, like they're worried and then I'm worried that they're going to try to like convince me to do something else. So I was like, I'm kind of tired of that. And then the other part of it, I was like the postpartum, like they keep coming in your room. (laughs) Bothering me. You don't don't get any rest. (laughs) No, you get no rest. It's like knock, knock, knock. Hey, just checking your belly. Knock, knock, knock. I'm just checking your baby. Knock, knock, knock. I'm taking pictures. And it's like, I just want to go to sleep. Like, let me sleep. (laughs) So did you have a home birth for any of your kids or did you do hospital first? My first was a hospital birth. I was induced because I went to 42 weeks. And at the time, like I said, I, I was not as educated as I am. And I was definitely not in a birth work or anything. But knowing what I know now, my birth team, uh, my OB and his assistant, they missed that my baby was breached. So I they induced me at 42 weeks and I went to eight centimeters naturally. Mm-hmm. And then they caught that he was breached and I went back for a section. And at, at that time, one of the biggest things that hurt me postpartum was 
I, I, you know, a lot of people, and I think it's starting to change now, but I think a lot of people assume once a C-section, always a C-section, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated because I thought, you know, well, that's it. If I have any more, that's, that's my story. And I'll mm -hmm. never have that feeling or experience. Mm -hmm. So when I found out about VBACs, I was, I was bound and determined that I was going to have a VBAC, but I was not ready for home birth yet with that. Mm -hmm. I still, I had probably only at that time doulaed one home birth and, or I mean, yeah, one home birth. And so I was still a little cautious because of the VBAC portion. But what I did change with that birth was that I used a midwife instead of an OB and it was a female. Mm -hmm. So that birth in general, I got to do, I had a whole birth plan. I had a doula. I had all these things that were going to be really different, mm -hmm. but I did end up, I did have an epidural with her. Mm -hmm. And then with my third, ironically, my husband was the one who really, really pushed for us to interview for home births because he was really about it. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a really, really bad tear with my VBAC. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do the home birth. I was afraid that I would tear again with my third mm -hmm. and I didn't want to have this beautiful home birth and then have to transfer and have that chaos if, if it happened again. Mm -hmm. So I did a hospital birth with her, but did, did that one completely unmedicated. It was like under three hours and it was, wow. it was my favorite birth because I got to finally experience that birth high mm -hmm. that you get when you avoid all the interventions and you just like, I literally pulled my own baby out, you know? Yeah. So I, I had them all in the hospital, but it's a weird thing that I've had a, a, one of each, like I've had a C-section, I've had a epidural and I've had a natural birth. So yeah. I do find that I relate to moms with that because I can tell them what each thing feels like and what, mm -hmm. what to expect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're very similar in our experiences with birth for sure, because my first was a vaginal birth, but she was with an epidural with all the in interventions. And it, honestly, it's a surprise that it didn't end up in a C-section, <laughs> but I had a really good midwife at the hospital that time. So, and then my second and third were not only C-sections, but they were premature babies. And then that were at 31 weeks. And then my fourth one was an induction because they they believed that Bella was, I'm trying to think, going back five years. I think she was, I think they thought she was, there was something wrong with my placenta. Um, yeah, I think I remember you saying something like that they thought it was. I think uh, they thought I had an accreta. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah. They thought I had an accreta with her. So they decided, they wanted to C-section me for her. And I was like. I don't want another C-section. Like, I thought, yeah. like, I was like, okay, at that point, I had known about, like, V-backs and stuff like that. And, you know, I wanted a V-back with my third, with my son, but premature and everything. And I thought, like, oh, my goodness, like, if I get a third C-section, I'll never be able to have another vaginal birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, no, no, I really want to try to have this vaginal delivery. And so... I talked to Dr. Stetzer, which I have for everyone who's listening, like I do have an uh, episode of, uh, with Dr. Stetzer. He uh, talked about having a VBAC in the hospital. So if you guys want to check out that episode, that link will be in the show notes. But yeah, I, I talked to Dr. Stetzer and I'm like, hey, look at my records. Like, do I really need the C-section or can I like do a vaginal delivery? And thankfully he was like, nope, we can do this. And here's a, here's a good plan for you. So we did the induction. And she was fine. I didn't have any complications with her or anything. Like she was, she was good. 
And then Kyla was really like an unassisted birth. Like there was no doctor. There was no nurse in the room. <laughs> I I delivered her in the shower and my doula at the time like caught her in the shower. It's it's a funny story, but <laughs> <laughs> she caught her in the shower and, and that was it. That was like my first unmedicated delivery. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. And so this time I'm like, all right, I want a home birth. This is what I want to do. And Joel was totally on board. He's like, sure, let's do it. Like, why not? Cool. Yep. So, you know, having a partner that's supportive of a home birth. hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> it really does change it. Because, you know, one of the things that we tell people when they reach out and want to interview about home births, or if I'm with a doula client and they're kind of like, well, I'm interested, but I'm nervous. <clears throat> Whenever we talk to them about it, we say, you know, it's okay to be nervous and have questions, mm -hmm. but we never want someone to home birth because they're either afraid of the hospital. So this is their only option or feel like they can't do a home birth because they're afraid that something could go like, you know, why wouldn't you want to be at the hospital? Well, if something goes wrong, we mm -hmm. try to answer those fears and talk about what the reality of the statistics are, because I think for a lot of men, they like to hear the percentages and the stats and the, well, you know, what happens if something does go wrong? What's the, what's the transfer look like? What, what, what all do you do? What can you do versus at the hospital system? So talking through all of that is we try to really make sure that you're going to be nervous and you might, you know, especially if you're used to a hospital setting, but talking through all of those things is really important and working through like what you might be anxious about and stuff like that. Yeah. And do you have any tips for like dads out there who whose wife like wants a home birth, but they're not totally sure? Like, do you, what do you do? You get resources? Like, what do you typically do? I honestly, we try to get them to talk to other families who have had home births or reach out to other dads uh, because nine times out of 10, what ends up happening is the dad might be a little nervous and the mom's like gung ho they they do the home birth and then the dad is like oh my gosh and he like will tell everybody he knows you gotta have a home birth you gotta have a home birth so it ends up sometimes being that the guy is usually more like spreading the word and singing at the mountaintop to everybody because he sees what the diff you know what a wonderful experience it can be and how different it is you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah so i i definitely notice and i i have a friend who's also a doula and she was just talking about a mom who wanted a home birth but her spouse was not on the same page as her and it ended up complicating the birth like significantly yeah. so definitely if you're a dad or if you're a mom who wants a home birth and your partner's not totally sure about it reach out to your community watch videos too yeah. watch some home birth videos okay, I, think so I think it's also important that a lot of people when they think about homework they go ooh, like but what if something happens and the hard part about that is Yes. Do you want to research home birth? Yes. But I think the flip side to that is they need to research hospital births too, because one of the biggest statistics out there is your chance of having an intervention or getting pain management, or even just flat out ending in a C-section goes up by, I think like 34% just by walking in the door of the hospital. So just by being around a place where their mindset is, oh, we need to, we're, we're need, we need to be preventative versus reactive. That is something that it's like, yes, do you need to research home birth hundred percent? And you should research your midwife and what their stats are and what their transfer rates are and all of that. 
but you should be doing the same thing for your OB and your midwife. How, what's their C-section rate? What's their induction rate? How many births do they actually attend? You know, the, the biggest difference with home birth, I think that really is a, for me, something that is, if, if I ever were to have another, which we are done, but if we were to have another, you get who you, unless the midwife is at another birth by chance, you get who you are working with. If you go to see your OB or midwife, unless they're at a place where they do their own on call, you might have this beautiful birth plan and relationship with your OB or your midwife, but you get who's ever on call. And so that is another thing to consider with your birth team that, you know, you talk about all these things and you have these mindsets and goals, but that could completely change if the person on shift is not on board with that or um, even the nurses, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I think it's important to research your hospital and that side as well. And I don't think people think about that. You know, they go, oh, I picked this OB because it's who my mom used. And then they go in and they have a 15 minute appointment and they're out and they, there's no relationship there and they don't even know what they, what their options are and stuff like that. So I think it's important to, to research both sides. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is definitely, you know, something that people think about like, oh, what if something happens? Like, what if something bad happens? And just like, for anyone who's new to this idea, like midwives, home birth midwives are trained to handle emergencies, just like in the, in the hospital, they're trained to also handle emergencies. But the difference is, is that even though there hasn't been a ton of research on home births, because if we really did the research on home births, we'd find (laughs) hospitals would go out of business. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 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 But anecdotally, like home birth midwives typically have very, very, very low cesarean cesarean rates so and i mean i i can't speak for i mean in this area where we're at that also like in ohio you know it's not home birth not licensed so it's different than some states where you might have like an actual standalone birthing center for people to have like an in-between hospital and home birth but i can only speak for the midwives that i know i've assisted or worked with and and the one that i mainly work with her transfer rate is i think under five percent and of those transfers, only 2% of them are like ambulance transfers. So when we're talking about transfers and what could, you know, quote unquote, go wrong, sometimes it's not emergency. Usually, I should say, it's not emergencies. It's things where we are catching something ahead of time because we're, we're cautious and careful. And we're like, hey, look, this is where we're at. And we really need to just have a discussion with you guys about like, if, if you know, this is going to continue, we it's best we we head in. And that's the mom and dad driving themselves in or whatever. It the the transfer rate of under two percent where we're we're calling a squad, it's still we're not letting it get to the point where it's a, a an emergency and you know, it's usually an emergency that if the squad gets there, we're getting to the hospital and we're we're dealing with it. So I think some people think like they have a home birth and something bad, drastically bad is going to happen in a matter of like a minute. And it's just, it's really unrealistic that that is the case. It's it's so rare that we even ambulance transfer. Yeah. And you guys, you guys are able to pick up on the signs where this looks, this looks like it should be a hospital transfer. So you guys are seeing those signs early on typically, right? Yeah. And this will, this is kind of one of those topics that I will talk about and I get backlash from. And I know that especially the hospital providers hear me say this and they're like, Ugh. but one of the biggest differences is the monitoring that we do. You know, we use a Doppler at home and we, we do check the heart rate and stuff. But when you're in the hospital, unless you're doing intermittent monitoring, you're on that monitor the whole time. And a lot of the things that the monitor catches are normal abnormally, 
you know, or there, we want some of those variations. And a lot of times I think that things get caught on a monitor that cause chaos in the hospital that really wouldn't, if they were at home, wouldn't have been an issue or wouldn't have led to, you know, oh, you know, this, 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 and this, and, and, or them pushing interventions that then cause stuff to, to, you know, trickle effect. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And I, those, the monitors that they put on, on the hospital, I, I would say besides like sometimes epidurals and Pitocin, that's like one of the biggest senders to the OR room right there yeah. is those variables on the, on the monitor. So yeah, good point. And in, in, in a hospital setting, Mm-hmm. Their their mindset is okay. We have a policy and we have a, a standard. And so if like you know, if the heart rate it falls out of this range or your blood pressure falls into this range, there is no wiggle room to to, to treat you as an individual. It is a blanket of well, the majority is like this. So we have we our hands are tied. We have to do that. Home birth is not like that. Your prenatals are one-on-one. They're much longer. You're, they're learning about you as a person and your habits and all of that. And we take each person as an individualized care where uh, like one of the biggest things we talk about with moms is like blood loss and how they really force that Pitocin postpartum and hemorrhaging and all that. It is pretty rare to hemorrhage post at, at a home birth because one, we let the placenta come out on its own. We aren't pulling and we're, you know, we keep the cord attached and all that, but they really will make you think that you're going to bleed out and die. You know what I mean? If you don't get this Pitocin or whatever. And at home, we we watch the blood loss and we do take into consideration those amounts. But like one woman might lose a cup of blood and not even be able to sit up and feel weak and not and be passing out. Another woman could lose 800 cc's and be up and showering in an hour. So everybody's different. And I think that that gets lost a little bit at the hospital as well. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because that is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is probably one of the biggest concerns besides like if something bad happens to the baby, but blood right. loss, that's that's a huge 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 thing. And a lot of people don't know this, but Pitocin one of the side effects of Pitocin is postpartum hemorrhaging. So, and, and a lot of people don't know that about Pitocin too. So, like just being aware as well of, as epidurals. Yes. Use of a use of an extended epidural like I'm talking probably over 10 to 12 hours. Your uterus goes, "Oh my god, I'm by the time you have your baby, your uterus is so like overworked and then also not worked because you can't feel what your body's doing." that your uterus kind of just goes bleh, and it doesn't even want to contract back down and then you bleed. So it's, it's kind of one of those things in the hospital where it appears that there's options to help. And, and there are emergencies where that stuff is needed. I'm not saying all hospitals are bad at all, but there are, it's like, sometimes you think you're getting something to help and it, it causes other things that happen that it's like, it, are you asking your, your team, what's, does the risk outweigh the benefit? You know what I mean? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. I know you guys put in some questions about my birth and like why I kind of chose to do a home birth and you know how I got to doing a home birth. I will say that as a doula who, who is also attended home births, a lot of the times like what really helps you get that successful home birth is listening to your midwife. <laughs> <laughs> That is a really important aspect because sometimes even as a doula, like, oh, you know, these moms want 
a, a home birth uh, midwife, but then they don't do any of the recommendations to prevent some of those complications during birth. Yeah. So one of the things that my midwife did was to make sure that like my iron levels were were good. So I did some of my lab work at the hospital. So I did co-care. So I did some some like lab work and ultrasounds with a midwife at a local hospital here, in addition to also seeing my midwife. And it just works out a little bit better that way for me because my insurance covers some of that stuff. I would also add that it, but when you do co-care, I think that in the event that you were to have to go into the hospital or something happens where you get risked out of a home birth or re- there is a transfer, it does bridge that gap where they feel like, okay, you're getting prenatal care and you were doing the right choices that, and they feel like you're you're taking it seriously and prepared. So when you walk through the door at the hospital, they're a little less like anti-home birth with you and they're a little more bridging that gap with the co-care. So, Yeah. Do you notice that the hospitals, like if you do have a transfer, do you notice that the hospitals are a little bit weird with that? I, I think it depends on which hospital for sure. <laughs> and I also yeah. think it depends on when you're transferring, who the midwife is that you're with that's transferring. And if they have, if they have a good reputation and they are, when, when they transfer, how they act with the, because, the, the, you know, not during COVID, we, the midwives weren't allowed in, but now they are. So when we transfer, if I'm dueling and I'm not just assisting, we, we will go and stay with the mom. So I think it depends on the midwife too, because you know, if they have a bad reputation or they're not respected when you're transferring, I think that changes the mood when you get there as well. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So yeah, that's a really good point is that you have that established relationship with the hospital and they have your records and things like that. And I I would say like, even after, and maybe you could speak to this a little bit after I delivered, the hospital called me and they're like, we haven't seen that you delivered. (laughs) We don't see you in the system. Like, did you, did you deliver? Like what happened? And I was a little nervous to like answer that call because it was a voicemail for a couple times they called, but when I finally answered, I was like, yeah, I delivered her. And they're like, okay, what hospital did you deliver her at? And I'm like, I delivered her at home. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) And I was like, kind of like afraid that I would get like some negative feedback, but she was just like, oh, okay. You delivered at home. Okay, cool. And then she's just like, okay, when was the baby's born? And then was the baby okay? And I was like, yep, she's good. She's healthy. And she's like, okay. And then that was it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was, I I feel like some people might be nervous and something to consider too. Like if you deliver at home and you do that co-care, they'll probably be wanting to follow up on you to see what's going on. (laughs) Well, that, and I think sometimes if, especially with moms that at the beginning, they might be with a midwife and then we talk about their birth plan and they kind of decide maybe at, let's say 20 weeks, like, Hey, I think I'm going to switch to home birth. That I always get this hesitation of like, do I need to tell my provider? Like, what are, I don't, I feel awkward. What are they going to say? And I always tell them, you know, you don't have to tell them anything, but if you do tell them, then that also helps bridge that gap that if you, if that changes, they don't feel like you just cut them off. And it, and again, I know sometimes when we talk about birth as birth workers, we seem so anti the system, but there's plenty of wonderful providers that as soon as you, like one of the, a couple of the midwives at Fairview they send people to me that they know, look, they're going to be a great fit for home birth. And, and they, they, they send them my way when they, when they find out that they're home birthing, they're like, okay, good, good for you. Like do it. 
So it's not like everyone's like, it's not so anti each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. But I also feel like the, in the system that we live in, like in the area that we live in, we do have that like benefits. Cause I know in some areas for some doulas, it's not always like that. Sometimes oh, yeah, yeah. Florida is a big one that I hear about a lot where the relationship with home birth can be like very tense but still having that like you said i still think that having that bridge and that communication with the hospital is good to have and to build those relationships so that's awesome that you have those relationships with you know the hospital staff so that you can better serve your clients and that and in the case in the event that they do have to transfer then you're able to be like hey i'm here this yeah. is what happened and they trust you so that's awesome yeah. okay let's do a quick, not a quick summary. Let's just do a little summary of what happened with my birth. So <laughs> <laughs> I had been having some prodromal labor, probably maybe a week. You think? I feel like you probably reached out a good two or three times within a, a month span of feeling like, Hey, something's going on. Yeah. You know, beforehand. So, yeah. Yeah. So it was, I, I remember, and I there was like two days before I actually delivered where my contractions would pick up to like a pattern for an hour. And then after that hour, it'd be like, and then nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I remember like, I actually messaged one of my friends. She's also a doula. And I'm like, I, I woke up in the morning and I was so irritated mad. I was so mad <laughs> yep. you know I was having like those contractions and then I'm like you know what I'm just gonna go fall asleep and you know because if this is something I definitely want to be rested and you know prepared and then I would wake up in the morning and it's like nope you're still pregnant and I'm just like what what yeah. is going on here like with Kyla I didn't have that like there was no no like contractions or anything like that prior to prior to it and I actually kind of almost prefer that because then you don't kind of get your hopes up yeah. a little bit <laughs> go ahead what are you going to say I, I would, well the, the the hard part about prodromal is it's very mentally defeating it is yeah. but I tell moms don't be completely discouraged and defeated by the prodromal because your body may not be having the baby with those prodromal contractions, but it is not for nothing because right. most of the time when you have a lot of prodromal, your body is still contracting enough to soften your cervix and dilate you a little bit and get baby into position. So usually if you have a lot of prodromal, your labor is pretty, is a lot faster than it would be if you didn't have all of that. So, and the more yeah. children you have, usually the more prodromal you do have. So although it's mentally defeating and exhausting, because then sometimes, I mean, with my third, I had I had padromal one time where it was 12 hours of just padromal. And then I called my doula even. <clears throat> and then I fell asleep and it fizzled. And I remember thinking, well, this is great. Now when I actually go into labor, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to know if like, to take it seriously or not. And then you get, you just get into your head a lot. But then, you know, after you have padromal, when it's real, you know. So I think mentally yeah. it can be defeating, but physically just, I tell moms, it's still doing something. It's still effective and it's still getting your body ready. So it's not yeah. for nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and I guess this is a note for anyone who's a birth worker and hasn't had their child, first child yet, but even as a doula, like, you know how they say even therapists need therapy. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> even as a doula, like having a doula is nice because you still, even with all the knowledge that you have, sometimes you kind of second guess yourself like, wait, okay, is this, is this what's going on or am I overthinking it? And I feel like you might even get into your head a little bit more sometimes, but I, I think that when you know, when we, you know what, when you know too much, yeah, then I think sometimes it makes it where you are in your head. You're like, well, I know all the things. So now, you know, you're almost more self-aware. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So that, so the couple of days before I actually delivered just like on and off labor and symptoms and things like that. And then, so the day of my delivery, I, like I said, I messaged my friend and I'm like, I'm so irritated. Like I, I haven't had my baby yet. And my body keeps like doing stuff and then it, it turns out to be nothing. And she's like, it's okay. Like she's coming soon. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so later that evening, I, my sister-in-law actually messaged me at, at like seven thirty, seven forty, And she's like, I'm just waiting on that. My water broke text. And mm -hmm. I, I like laughed and everything, but I kid you not 20 minutes later, my contraction started. Like it, it was, oh, it was wild. Yeah. So I was playing a game with my niece and, and I kept having like this, like, you know, the contraction sensation, but it was like deeper in my pelvis. And I was like, I kept having to go to the bathroom and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just try to ignore this and like keep playing the game and things like that. And we were at Joel's mom's house. And we were not planning on telling her that we were doing a home birth. Like, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we didn't want to tell her. She's a very, very nice, nice woman. But she, she, she can have a lot of worry and anxiety, and she like speaks aloud her anxieties and worries. And I'm like, I don't want that in my birth space. Like, yeah. <laughs> love you, but no. <laughs> and she's more definitely medical minded than I am. So it was like, and Joel was like, nope, I don't want her there. Like, <laughs> yeah. so we we're like, okay. So we were at his house and we we're like, I, I texted Joel and I'm like, I think we need to leave. And I told his niece, I'm like, yeah, I think we're gonna have to go soon. And I'm like, let's just do a couple more like games. And then I'm like, after a couple of those games, I'm like, no, we need to go. So I called Joel and I'm like, yeah, we got to go now. And so he gets, we get all the kids. We, we head outside the door. And that's when the first big contraction happened was like right outside his Jeep when I'm trying to get into the, oh boy. <laughs> into the car. And so that's when I texted you Yeah, and I'm like, because the contraction, there was no pattern. Yes. They were just yes. kind of random. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, well, are you timing them? And I'm like, no, I'm not timing them. I'm just like, but they still seem kind of all over the place. So we got in the car and I think I had only two more contractions and, and that 10 minute ride and that was it. And then as soon as we got into our driveway, I had another big contraction. And then at that point, it was like, Every time I walked, I would have a contraction like every minute. And then I got to, I got inside and then I sat on my birth ball and then the contractions would space out on the birth ball. It was very strange. Like this was not like any of my other births that I had. And yeah. that's when I texted you and I'm like, oh, they're all over the place. Like, I don't even know. And you're like, had you, had you called Jasmine yet? Who is my midwife? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to wait and see what's going on. And then I was like, Jill's like, I told Jill, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should call her and just let her know what's going on. So I called her and I'm like, hey, like, 
I'm having these contractions, but they're kind of all over the place. And while I was on the phone with her, I had a contraction and I'm like, okay, hold on a second. I'm having a contraction. So she waited for the contraction to be over. And then she's like, "Mm, yeah, I'm going to head over. I'll see you in an hour. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but me and her texted and we both were like, yeah, we're going to head over there. (laughs) (laughs) Cause she, I think she was a a good hour drive too. So we wanted to make sure, cause you know, with how fast your last one went, we both were like, as soon as it's kind of, you know, we're going to just head over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And for context, for people who don't know, my last birth with baby number five was an hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah. Very fast, very fast. So I think at some point I texted you because the contractions were, they were different than I had felt in my other pregnancy. So they were more like very, very low, like in my bladder, like I felt it in my bladder and in my back. And I could feel how she was shifted a little to more of my left side. And so I remember texting you, I'm like, yeah, these kind of feel weird. Like, do you think that we should kind of reset her position? And you're like, yeah, let's do a mile circuit. And do you want to explain what a mile circuit is for our audience here? Yeah, the mile circuit is a series of, they're not really exercises, they're positions that you do and you do them in a certain sequence. And basically, as we're talking, I'm pulling it up so I can read exactly the positions. But the the first step is that you kind of, you like lay down almost like you would for on hands and knees, but your, your top half is a little bit more to the ground and you're kind of pulling your hip up to let the baby kind of come out of the pelvis a little bit and then pull back in essentially. So you're giving that room for repositioning of the head and you hold that. And then there's a, a second uh, position where you lay in bed with an, like an over-exaggerated uh, side lie. Um, and that, Um, opens your hip pelvis to then realign as well. And then it's like a series of lunges that you can do, or uh, you would like walk up the stairs sideways or like with a stool or something. So you can easily look up what the mile circuit is in the positions, but it's basically a series of things you do to help with what I usually say is if you do the mile circuit, it's either going to kick things into gear more, or it's going to show us that look, Hey, it's don't do too much more. Let your body kick in if it needs to. So it's, it's, it can be used for position or to kind of see if label labor's really labor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started with the first position and then this was, I started the first position and then texted you like, Hey, yeah, come like, come over <laughs> at that point. And, and by that time, I think maybe I think, how long are they supposed to be? 30 minutes in each position, isn't it? I just had it up. I think it's, it might be 20. The first one's 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah, it's 30 minutes each because it's 90 total. Okay, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I had gotten to that position and probably like 10 to 15 minutes after being in that, the first position, the midwife assistant came in and she started listening to the baby. I don't know what Joel was doing, to be honest. I think maybe he was washing dishes. (laughs) <laughs> the nervous like dad cleaning up yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah. and so yeah that w- that's what happened and then I only had to do I think two positions before my contractions got into a regular position so I think by the time you got there I was ready to do the like exaggerated lie and we probably did that for like what 15 10 minutes 15 minutes Yeah. And quite frankly, your contractions were already so intense that 
when you would have when you didn't stay in that sideline, you kind of got up and moved into mm -hmm. what was good feeling good for you. So yeah. 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 And and then we headed into the shower after that. And at some point Jasmine made it there. I don't know when <laughs> she yeah. made it there. I yeah. And and something that you didn't mention before when we kind of talked about at our prenatals together, like what her previous births were like and what to expect. One of the things she's kind of said was like usually when I get in the shower that's kind of a sign that it's like a go. And so she was like, I want to get in the shower. And I'm like, okay. And then I kind of like <laughs> leaned out the hallway and looked at Jasmine and said, Hey, it, it's, it's, we're getting close here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I, and I remember being in the shower and then I had my, my three-year-old with me oh it was so adorable it was so precious what it and that's another thing about home birth that you don't really get in the hospital is you can have all your babies with you and your kids and you can have whoever you want at home or you can have no one you know yeah exactly I feel and that was probably one of the other motivating factors for me to have a home birth you know with five kids it's hard to find a babysitter yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were and you never know what when you're gonna go into labor and things like that although i had told i think i told you and i told several people i'm like because people are like do you when do you think you'll have her and i'm like I, I definitely don't think i'll have her on my due date i think i'll have her this weekend and i did i had her on yep. a saturday because because yep. <laughs> i'm like my kids are stressing me out like i don't think i'm gonna have them today so I'm like yeah. they're gonna go to their dad's house and I was gonna have a little bit of a break so I'm like probably this weekend I'll have I'll have her so but yeah I had my three-year-old with me and I think Joel said that she almost even tried to crawl in the tub with me she was sitting like you were in the shower standing and leaning and stuff and he was kind of on the other side rubbing you, your back and and your she was sitting like one foot out the tub and one like one foot in and she was she was just like your little mini doula it was adorable it was yeah. I remember her being like it's okay mommy is baby yeah. okay and I'm like yeah baby's fine she was yeah she was she was like my little mini doula it was so sweet and then again for context with my midwife I told my midwife like I pretty much like I want you there but I don't I want you to kind of be a fly on the wall because I'm like just let me do my thing. I was very like adamant about not wanting vaginal checks. I was like, please do not check me. Like, I don't like that. Like kind of yeah. just let my body kind of do, do the things and stuff like that. And she was, she was a really, she was a really good med midwife. She like, she stayed out of the way. She only came, I think a couple of times to like do, she did the Doppler on yeah. my belly. And then I think somebody asked me if I ate, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was you or if it was Jasmine but you somebody gave me some food and i was eating in labor and then at some point in the shower i was like this is not it anymore <laughs> yeah yeah like nope i need to get out i need to get out and yep and then i remember you asked me like well what do you want to do what do you want to do next and i'm like i don't know and i'm like do i want to wait sit and i'm like nope don't want to sit and then i remember looking at joel and i'm like thinking in my head i can't do this and you said like, it. You said it. Yes. You said, I, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. <laughs> okay. So I thought I said it in my head, but I, I didn't know I said it out loud. And I remember looking out the window too. And I'm like, what did I just do? And then I'm like, there is no way I can get to a hospital. I'm like, at this point. And I'm like, in your head, you know, like you're getting close, but you're yeah. just like in that mindset of like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I leaned on Joel. 
And I remember also thinking, like, I can't, if I say I can't do it, they're just going to tell me that I can, and that'll make me (laughs) 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 like, you can do it, Angel. And I'm like, I didn't want you guys to say that because I was like so irritated. So that, that, guys, is what we call transition. And (laughs) the moment that mom starts saying, like, I can't do this, I don't know if I can do this you know, having doubts about her strength and things like that, that is, that is typically transition. So just FYI. And then I started pushing on my own. And you, yeah, well, we went from the shower into your bedroom and you didn't really even make, I think you laid down for one contraction and then you got up and I was doing a double hip squeeze and you were leaning on Joel and just boom. Boom. Yeah. It was like one little, like I could tell in your voice that there was like a push, a little like push with it. Uh And then you're just, your whole, your water just basically broke and went everywhere and baby like came at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. With that pressure release. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, Joel told me that I got Jasmine's phone like super soaked and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Hey, that's not, you know, you can't, <laughs> that's whatever. Right. I know that's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think I did maybe one other push and then she was out. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, yep. that was it. That was, that was pretty much it. And yeah, guys, that was my birth. It was a total of about three hours. So it started around 8 PM and then I had her at like 11 something. Yeah. 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 So yeah, three hours. It was very fast. What did you like? Is is what's pretty typical of like home births after two C sections? Do you see like a commonality with HBACs, or are they all pretty different? You know, I would have to really. I can't. I don't even know if I've been to any with besides yours that were two C sections, but most VBACs, mm-hmm. I will say, and you know, both you and I are VBackers there's a eye of the tiger that v backers have mm-hmm. where nobody's telling us we can't do it and we're de- bound and determined and i think that the difference i see is v backers do a lot of research and they know what they want and mm-hmm. although birth is fluid and we need to be flexible i just think there's a there's a different determination of somebody told me like in emergencies, it's one thing, but sometimes when you look back at your birth story and you, your C-section ended because of whatever, sometimes you feel like it was taken away from you, you know? So I think there's this, this like, I'm hell bent on getting this, this vaginal birth that I want. And so the difference I mainly see is that moms just have a different, there's a, a glimmer in their eye and, and a different determination when it comes to birthing after a C-section. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I like, I, I've, I feel like my specialty really is VBAC. So I do a lot of VBAC moms in the hospital and at home too. So yeah, usually it's a lot of determination with a lot of my VBAC moms and, you know, they go for what they want and, and things like that. So you guys had a couple of questions for me about my birth. And so one person asked me reflecting on your birth experience, what was your favorite moment? What was the most helpful factor and anything you found less beneficial? Is there anything you wish you would have done differently? So taking the first question, my favorite moment, my favorite moment was probably Kyla, just like asking me if I was okay. (laughs) And then after birth, 
she crawled into the bed with oh, me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And she laid down next to me and she was talking to me. She was talking to her sister. She was saying, it's okay, baby. And she hung out for a long time. It was way past her bedtime, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Past her bedtime. And she stayed awake. The funniest moment was my water broke and she said, ew, mommy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> She was thought you put what's in the bathroom on the floor. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah. And I guess my other favorite moment was everyone feeding me afterwards. Yeah, the food was good. They yeah. cooked up some some eggs and bacon. And that was great. It was really good. Good postpartum meal. The most helpful factor, probably the shower was really helpful. The ball was really helpful. I always I like try to listen to my body, like whatever feels comfortable. And then the mile circuit was really helpful because I, after I did the mile circuit, the whole belly contractions came that I'm like normally and used to. You could feel the difference. Yeah, yeah, I could feel the difference. And in my entire pregnancy, she was kind of like leaning more to my left hip. Like I could feel her in my hip. And I was seeing the chiropractor. I was seeing a pelvic floor therapist and that would help. But she still seemed to like, favor one side so that may or may not have contributed to some of the weird contractions I was feeling in and earlier but I know that once I did just yeah. two of those circuits like it it was very normal for me anything I found less beneficial mm, no not really I think everyone was great you were great she did hip squeezes in the shower good job <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you did you get a super wet? I don't I don't remember. You know, I'm it it's when I'm at a birth, all anything like that goes out the window and it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. I I we were I had my shoes off anyway because we were at your house, but mm -hmm. even when I'm at a hospital, I take my shoes off when we're in the shower. And if I get wet, that's 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 what it is because yeah. especially at home, the showers are different, you know. Right. But sacrifice is that that's my job my job is not my comfort it's yours so. exactly yeah. yeah yeah I remember I had one client who I was actually a backup doula for this uh, mom and dad and I was like yeah do you want to get in there and for dad I'm like you want to get in the shower and he's like I don't have any 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 clothes for this and I'm like it's totally fine I'll do it for you and you know I yeah arms soaked sleeves soaked everything and I was like yep. no I'll you know it's fine so yeah I don't think there was anything that was like less beneficial I feel like I I love doing the co-care but my and this is I was considered high-risk pregnancy because I had two prior c-sections I had a, a didelphus uterus which means that I have basically I have two uteruses and I, I think they also think I might have two cervixes, but I don't know very much about that for sure. Um, and, and you know, I've had a placenta previa in the past. So I didn't have a, my, my whole pregnancy, I was like, I would do the home birth. I wanted to do the home birth, but if anything weird with my placenta was going on, then I was going to do a hospital birth. So I didn't talk about that in prenatals and stuff. So we, we knew yeah. we had it like both plans. Yeah. 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 So, and I think that's also helpful if anyone's planning a home birth, always have, have a home birth plan and have a hospital birth plan as well. So in case you have to do a transfer or in case something happens during your pregnancy where you do have to 
transfer to hospital care, had both plans. So I didn't actually even hire my midwife until I had the ultrasound where they cleared. They're like, yeah, your placenta is good. Um, Cause I had an interior placenta. So we had to make sure that it wasn't on my C-section scar. So, but the, the least hopeful thing I found was just the fact that they were just like, I really wanted a midwife and they wanted me to go to the high risk OBs and I'm like I don't want to go to the high risk OBs like yeah and that was and so yeah I didn't I didn't like that so because they kept trying to make me do a ton of tests and I didn't want to do tests and I'm just like I just want to do the basic stuff that make sure my baby is okay because they wanted me to do ultrasounds like every month and I'm like why you're telling me that this baby is fine she's healthy there's yeah. nothing wrong my placenta is good my blood works good I don't want to do any more tests so that you guys can and I told I remember telling this midwife I'm like I'm like, the last time I've done ultrasounds, just in case, you guys found something wrong and it ended up not being a problem. In the right, place. right. Yep. So I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So that was probably not not helpful. Um, anything that I would have done differently, probably called you sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what I would do. Okay. So the other questions, I'm going to move pretty quickly with through these next questions. Did you work with a midwife for your home birth and how did their guidance impact the process? Yes, I had a midwife. I really hired my midwife really to be there just in case there was something wrong with the baby because midwives do have that like emergency care and just, you know, if there were any signs that things were going, you know, not too well, I wanted her to just be there just to like, let me know. And then we could make an informed decision. But otherwise, like I said, I didn't really want my midwife too involved other than to make sure, you know, do the Doppler. And, and that was it. So, and she did, she was really good. She respected my wishes. She, I really didn't really know when she was around very often. She caught my baby and yeah, she was great. She was a good midwife. She, I liked how holistic she is. She's very holistic. She had me working. She had me taking stinging nettle and dandelion tea to support like my iron levels and things like that, which is, she also uses those herbs for preventing postpartum preeclampsia as well. So I like the holistic side of her and her care, but she's also clinical. So I like the balance of both. And how did you involve and support your partner in the birth experience? So this is his second baby. So he knew a little bit about birth in general from the second baby. And then obviously like he hears all the birth stories that I, I have for my birth and then for the births that I do professionally and things like that. So honestly, he trusted everything that I wanted to do and he's very chill. I don't, yes, yes, he is. I don't really know what he was doing. I know he was in the bathroom for a sec. And then obviously when I had my had baby Mila he was there because I was leaning on him but he was like he's very calm cool collected kind of he's a very he was a very good space holder for you too like sometimes guys can try to awkwardly be funny or talk too much or be like you know are you okay every five seconds or they they like want to help and get make the pain go away but that's not part of the process you know right but he was very good at space holding and just being with you yeah yeah yeah, he's he's very, very good at that. I call him like he's like my rock. Yes. <laughs> very stable. Yes. Very, very much. <laughs> yeah. So he was involved in every all the decision making, but honestly, like he just trusted everything I, I wanted wanted for the birth. He was there at some of the prenatal appointments, so he knew what was going on. So yeah, that's pretty much how he was involved. And then what was your go-to nutrition strategy for 
during birth. Okay, so I read the book Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols. She has amazing insight on nutrition. And most of the nutrition advice that is given to moms prenatally and even postpartum is not really up-to-date nutrition information and it's not really geared toward pregnancy. So if you really want to understand how you know food can support your pregnancy and also prevent a lot of pregnancy complications, I would read Real Food for Pregnancy. She goes into you know how vitamin D intake is probably needs to be a lot higher than is what is recommended. She talks about alternatives to iron supplements and how to get your iron. She talks about vegan diets, vegetarian diets, things like that. So she's a really good resource. So I'll leave a link to her her book so you guys can take care of that or so that you can read that. Highly, highly recommend. If you are a birth worker or a midwife, I would recommend Functional Maternity. She's actually coming on the podcast. Her name's Sarah. I forgot her last name. But that's another good book if you want more information on like nutrition and things like that. Let's see. And can you share the key aspects of your post-birth recovery process, especially after high-risk home birth? Yeah. So being home, (laughs) being home. Yeah. Being home. I did the, what is it? Three days. No, is it five days in bed, five days on bed and five days outside of bed? I can't remember. Do you know? Do you know? It's it's close to that. It's it's like the idea is four to five days of being in bed, like no stairs and really just bonding and then in and in and around and up and about but still you know really realistically being in the house and not really going anywhere and trying to really let yourself heal and that has a lot to do with your pelvic floor you know the hospital you're there for a day or two give or take and yeah you're in the bed there but then you come home and I feel like a lot of moms I hear they're like out and about within four or five days of giving birth and they probably feel good about that because they're like, wow, I'm bouncing back so fast and I'm out and about. And, you know, you could do get a little stir crazy, but then you, a week from then you like crash and you start, ble- you'll be like, oh, my bleeding's picking up or, you know, you're out and about and then all of a sudden it just hits you. And I think people forget that, although it's not like a, like one, unless you've had a C-section, you know, it's not like you have a visible thing other than your baby being in your arms, but your body just went through a huge change. And it takes, you have to be very gentle with recovery. Yeah, absolutely. That I think there's a, a, a huge rush in our culture to bounce back from pregnancy and there, there, our culture doesn't really value rest. We value busyness. So I, I really think that doing the five, five, five rule, and I'll link that in the show notes so that you guys can look into that more is really valuable. And let me see that. I think there's one last question could you describe the duration of your labor and how you managed to gauge when you were in active labor (laughs) like i said it was three hours and because i'm i'm considered a grand multiple a lot of times those grand multiples hit labor a lot faster and you kind of just know like we had mentioned before they're very different contractions compared to some of the prodromal labors it's different from braxton hicks but they can, the, the frequent contractions, the strength of the contractions is really when you can tell that you're in labor and they don't let up. So Yeah, like prodromal labor, it's crampy and it feels kind of like period cramps and you can tell something's happening. But the biggest thing, I was just at a prenatal yesterday, I was explaining to her, like, 
the difference is you could have contractions that might be five minutes apart and you're thinking, oh, we need to, we need to call the midwife or we need to go into the hospital. But how long are they? Are they 30 seconds? And how strong are they? And if, if they feel strong, cause you're like, well, I feel that they're, they're like, they kind of hurt a little bit and that, that, like, I'm stopping to think about it. That that's not, it's not so much like, oh, how much does it hurt as much as, okay, <clears throat> they've been five minutes apart for 30 minutes or three hours, but they have consistently been the same strength. So they might consistently be happening every five minutes and you're feeling them, but in three hours, has that changed? Are they getting harder to manage and stronger and longer? And I think that that's key because I think so many people just think about, oh my God, they're five, four, three minutes apart. We need to whatever. And sometimes labor starts at three minutes apart and then it, it just stays like that. So that's another thing to think about is you know, it, the key is, are they getting, are they changing it or are you keeping it at bay and they're just manageable? Yeah. So like I mentioned, guys, this is, this is probably one of the key things that we tell our clients to is try to keep yourself distracted. So I was playing a game with my, my niece and, and then at some point during the game, I, I, you know, it was hard to focus on the game. So that's kind of how I, I knew I'm like, okay, we're, we're starting to get somewhere and then even after that when I got home I was like trying to get everything ready for the home birth so it was like getting my laboring clothes on I was getting snacks I was talking to my daughter we were gonna do a a Harry Potter marathon but we didn't really get to that (laughs) that was the plan though that we're gonna do the Harry Potter marathon and then there was at a point like you know I you can't, you can't really do much else, but focus on those contractions. So yeah. So that was all of your, go ahead. I was just going to add to, I feel like that question is probably for somebody that is either a first timer or is nervous that they won't, won't know what, you know, two things I will say about that is it's not like the movies. You're not going to be standing in the the grocery line and your water going to break and a gallon of water is going to come out and the baby's going to come in a minute. I mean, it's just, that's just not going to happen. And I know that you will talk to veteran moms and they will say, like we both did, you'll just know. And I know that that answer sounds like, well, that's not helpful, but you'll know exactly what we're talking about when it happens. You know, you'll know you're having a contraction because you're not going to just wake up and a baby's going to be in a bed with you. You will know that it's progressing. You will know that it's happening, but there will be a shift change. So I think that question said active labor. If we go by a medical scale, it's going to say, you know, they base it off of your dilation number. But the reality is, you know, I think when you really change from that pre-labor to active, where it's really, okay, this is real, you go into a a labor land where you're not talking in between, you're, 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 you're not what, what you might be like, turn off the TV. I don't want to hear that. Or people might be chattering in the background and you might want to be like, ah, or your partner might be you know, annoying you and you just are like, ah, and you go into more of a focus zone, but the contractions will change to where, you know, like, oh, these are different. That's when you can kind of tell yourself, okay, now I know what they're talking about when they're like, you'll just know. I mean, it's kind of like when you know your period's coming, you can kind of feel, you're like, ooh, those cramps. The difference too, I think with that is like, I think your, your, the contractions, they start and they stop and they have a beginning and an end. Sometimes with your period cramps, it's kind of a rolling cramp that just kind of lingers, you know, throughout the day. And that's kind of what pre-labor feels like, but then they'll pattern. 
So I think that's something to keep in mind is like when it first starts, you're kind of like, ah, something's going on. You're not going to think that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, baby's coming. I mean, once you've had a couple of babies, the labor can go fast, but you know, you'll know when it, when it's shifting and changing. Yeah. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode or this episode of how I had a high risk home birth. And maybe this will open your mind a little bit to, you know, having a home birth or just things to consider when it, when we're talking about having home births, because even, even that label of high risk, even the, once you have that label of high risk in one pregnancy, you typically carry it over, yeah. which I feel like we need to change for sure. Because in that, in you know, my last few pregnancies, I've had healthy pregnancies that are pretty much low risk. So, you know, kind of make sure you know, like all the benefits, all the risks of all, all, all the different things, research. We've mentioned a few resources, get your partner on board and then work on nutrition. I, we didn't really talk a whole lot about nutrition, but I did mention like listening to your midwife. So if your midwife is suggesting like, you know, certain things to help prevent complications during your pregnancy and during your labor. And this will also ultimately help with postpartum as well. Make sure you listen to that guidance as far as like making sure that you're staying healthy in, 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 your, in your birth and your pregnancy. Yeah. Any other takeaways, Emma, that you want to mention? I know we talked about home birth and midwives, but I also think that even if you have a wonderful home birth midwife who has an assistant, you need a doula. Everybody needs a doula. Everybody needs a doula. So you've got, no matter if, no matter what you got to do, I think that that's an extremely important factor. And I think everyone should have access to one. And I think it's important to also interview your midwife. Like, you know, same thing with like I was talking about earlier, just because we're like, like I might have a preferred midwife that I recommend. You still should interview several home birth midwives and because some use an assistant, some don't, some have a birth team, you know, like Jasmine had, I think two or three people with her. So I think it's important that you, you know, you know what you want and then don't just go with the first person, you know, like. I might be a really high sought after doula, but I might not be a good fit for some people either. So I think it's important to interview your midwives, see what their what their experience in their birth team looks like, and also interview your doulas and make sure that the people that are with you at your home birth are people who are going to only help you. And like you mentioned earlier, there's sometimes is some pressure when you have a home birth, especially because people are interested and they want to be there to watch and they they're nervous. So they want to be there to see, you know, what the deal is. People also need to know that they're a lot, they shouldn't, they shouldn't feel pressured to have anybody at their birth that they don't want to have. And if that means that they hurt someone's feelings, it, it is what it is. But you want to have the people in your birth space that are familiar and you know, versus sometimes at a hospital, you know, like I said, you might get a random provider, but also the nurses, you know, it might the nurse might not be a good fit, or you're meeting people for the first time in that vulnerable space where home birth you're meeting and you know the, the people that are going to be surrounding you. So I think that also makes a big difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Emma, where can we find you in the internet and social media space? I know you're not super active on social media. Yeah. People want to check you yeah. out. Where are you? So I, my business name is The Womb Within. I'm, I have a website, thewombwithin.com. I, I have a Facebook. I, I don't really go on social media as much. I mean, I have an Instagram. I barely know how to use Instagram. I've really taken a step back from that. But if you go to my website, you can reach me by email or phone number on there. And I, I'm slowing down a little bit right now on doula work and focusing more on placentas and assisting, but 
I tell everybody just still reach out to me because I am still open to, you know, giving advice and talking through and seeing what people need and referring out and all of that and, and what people might, might have questions about, I should say, especially I get a lot of home birth questions, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're amazing. You do great work in this area. We're definitely blessed to yeah, have you. You too, girl. You're, you are like <laughs> out there for sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. My birth rebels, I hope you like this episode and I hope you were able to take away some awesome information and be able to use this either in your own personal birth or even as a professional. So until next time, I hope you guys have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, but remember our journey together is far from its conclusion. Ensure you tap that notification bell to stay in the loop about upcoming episodes. Don't forget the valuable resources waiting for you in the podcast description. Also, do you love this podcast? Show your love by leaving a stellar five-star review, spreading the word across your social circles, or even becoming a listener supporter, contributing financially to sustain this podcast's existence. If a specific topic tickles your fancy or you aspire to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to submit your ideas via the link in the podcast description. And to all you incredible women who are expecting or planning to conceive, I'm well aware that fears around childbirth can be overwhelming. From concerns about hospital procedures to coping mechanisms during labor, I've got your back. What's even better is that you can now access your free guide on mastering five techniques to conquer the fear of birth. As a bonus, discover a collection of mindfulness tools curated to quell anxiety and fear during pregnancy and childbirth. The guide's link awaits you in the podcast description. Live long, loud, and in prosperity, dear members of the Rebel Birth crew. Until we cross paths again, thrive unapologetically.